Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast. Today we have a very deep subject that we will be talking about. We will be going into addiction and recovery. And our guest today knows a lot about this subject. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified health coach, and is an expert in the field of nutrition for addicts. She specializes in working with people recovering from addictions of many kinds. She focuses on helping people replenish depleted nutrients, restore neurotransmitter balance, optimize digestion, and normalize blood sugar regulation. She is a founder of Nutrition by Hollis. Please welcome Hollis Bailey to our show. Hi, Brian. Thanks for that introduction. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on for the addiction and recovery uh, piece that we're doing. You have such a deep history with it. Can you um, kind of talk to us a little bit about your early childhood and kind of where everything started with you? Yes. Um, Yeah, I'm glad we're starting in childhood because that's been a lot of my story and getting involved with nutrition has been piecing those um those pieces together from where my health you know where my health maladies started so in childhood um i think i was born a gaps baby (laughs) as i know the terminology now um i went for people that don't know what gaps is can you explain that just briefly yeah it's um it's an acronym for gut and psychology syndrome. And it's really essentially when your digestion is so compromised, there's a lot of leaky gut going on and um, your digestion and immune system are always flared up and fired up. So um, it takes a lot of special care and special dietary things to correct the imbalances. Um, So that, I think that's where it started for me. So I saw my first gastroenterologist when I was four years old. Um, And I don't even know what the diagnosis was, but that just told me I had digestive stuff going on since probably the day I was born. Um, And I'm not going to get too much into this, but I also think the health of, of babies has a lot to do with their mother and father's health. And I know my mom just had a really hard pregnancy. So it's not surprising that I came into the world um, with a compromised immune system and digestion. And so that, um, you know, I just grew up with bloating and constipation and frequent IBS, never had regular normal periods. um, And I struggled from early on with, with what I would now call anxiety. So constant worry and obsessive compulsive stuff. Um, I was never diagnosed when I was growing up, but looking back on it, I mean, I was always a worrier. I got nervous when I had to talk in front of an audience. I would just get really flushed and just completely lose my thought pattern. And there was never really any recovering that sense of being quote unquote, okay or comfortable. Um, So that was going on. And up up until high school was when I started developing um, a food addiction. And it was just, food was my comfort, essentially. So that helped me calm down. Um, 
And so I developed some really unhealthy behaviors around food, certainly anorexic behaviors, um, some bulimia was involved, but really just this obsession with something to make me feel okay. And that was food in high school. And then um, in college, of course, there's the drinking culture. And so I started drinking to moderate my moods and um, my freshman year in college. I mean, <laughs> I was, I was drinking some days all day long and it was, it was completely stress related. I went to a really prestigious school my freshman year. I grew up in a, a super small town, a town of about a thousand people, went to San Diego. So there was all this culture shock and I was just totally in freeze, freeze mode. And so I started drinking to cope. Um, and it was acceptable in college. So I got away with that for <laughs> quite some time, drinking regularly. And then and the then, drinking doesn't really help with uh, depressive issues either, does it? Um, absolutely not. No, I mean, in combination with the digestive stuff that I already had and wasn't addressing, and then you throw alcohol, which is a depressant on top of that, it's just, um, it causes a lot of nutrient deficiencies, which I'll talk more in depth about um, within this podcast, and especially nutrient deficiencies that lead to neurotransmitter imbalance, which is what keeps our mood stable. Um, so yeah, tons of, <laughs> tons of alcohol and then drugs came along. So all kinds of chemicals I'm poisoning my body with. And, um, uh, I don't think I had a terrible diet, but I certainly wasn't eating like the, the healing protocols that I eat now. You know, there were definitely vegetables and fruits involved in my diet, but it wasn't a normal eating schedule and it wasn't all healthy. Um, so just one thing on top of the other led to the severe state of addiction, essentially to moderate my moods. Um, so by the time I was 23, I, 20, man, on my 23rd birthday, which was almost 11 years ago, I decided to seek professional help because I just, I had gotten into hard drugs and I knew it wasn't a place that I wanted to be. And, um, and I couldn't put them down either. So I ended up checking myself into a rehab facility and started my recovery. So what did the rehab facility do for you? Like what was their treatment protocols? Was it helpful? So when I, um, first of all, I was just done with treating my, my body like crap. Um, I had started seeking out some I'd started reading books on spirituality and self-help books to, in an effort to try and stop the physical addiction. Um, and when that, none of that helped, I just knew that I needed to be in a place where I physically couldn't be exposed to the drugs and alcohol. So that was one thing it did for me was get me out of the scene, um, and my normal triggers. And then we started talking, I mean, diet and nutrition were kind of my own influence, the treatment facility that I had, they didn't allow us to have sugar, which was good, um, and limited caffeine. So that was kind of my first hint that nutrition could have a part of it. But I also just wanted to be healthy. I mean, I, I knew that I was poisoning my body and I knew that it, I couldn't stop. And I felt guilty and shameful about that for a long time before I actually went into rehab. So 
getting healthy in terms of nutrition and exercise didn't take a lot of effort on my part. Um, but so I went to rehab, learned a lot of good coping skills in terms of um, having a community that supported me. And we started tapping into the emotional stuff. But really, I started focusing on my physical health. And so I exercised a lot. Um, I started paying attention to what I was putting in my body. And my diet wasn't wasn't all that bad. However, <laughs> my moods were way, way worse than I ever remembered. Um, I had so much guilt and shame that I was carrying around. And so that just contributed to this constant state of anxiety and there was some depression in there, but mostly just like the shaky feeling of the world's going to explode around me. <laughs> I don't know how to handle it. Um, so I ended up seeking some extra professional help after rehab and got on, they put me on all kinds, they put me on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, um, Adderall and Ritalin for ADHD and just all of these chemicals. And they, the thing is they worked, <laughs> they worked in the beginning, but then, um, being sober and like starting, the wheels are starting to turn and I'm like thinking, okay, there has to be a way that I can be happy and feel normal without being addicted to chemicals. Um, and so that kind of started that process. Fast forward, uh, to, I think it was 2012 or so about five or six years ago. Um, I was going on and off antidepressants and um, Xanax and Adderall and just on and off these medications. The the Western doctors that I had seen all along knew how to put me on medication, but they didn't know how to get me off. And so I would just get sick of being addicted to something and being dependent on uh, a drug. And so I just put it down, which what with the information I know now was a really bad way to do it to your body. You really need to wean yourself off in, in smart, intelligent ways from those drugs. But so I was just kind of causing myself to have these emotional ups and downs. I ended up losing my vision in, um, about five or six years ago in 2012 and like fully lost it. You couldn't see anymore. You were blind or um, was it just starting to deteriorate? Yeah. So it was, so what happened was I was having these, and I, I had a computer job at the time. So I was losing vision during parts of the day and it, I was noticing that, and yeah, it was complete vision loss, just blurry vision. Glasses wouldn't help. Nothing that I could do like physically would bring things into focus. So um, it wasn't complete vision loss. Like I couldn't make it to the bathroom or something, but it was completely hindered, um, my ability to work. And so this would happen off and on for about a month. And so I started going to doctors. I went to, um, just a normal eye doctor and I don't know if I can't remember if I made it to an ophthalmologist. I did get sent to a neurologist and, um, and they just, they couldn't find anything wrong with the vision tests. And so they were, I don't know, there was talk about, you know, panic attacks and, and things. But, um, so it got to the point, my grandma got put in the hospital and with the stress of that over about a period of a month being really worried about her, I ended up just completely 
it was like from sun up to sundown. My vision vision was blurry. I had to take time off work. I was completely depressed. Um, and I ended up going to a naturopath just being like, oh, I don't know if I, I trust in this, but this is my next step because nothing, no one else is helping me. So I walked into that office and she did, I mean, I remember it like, like it was my saving grace. It was the first time anyone had done a full in-depth health history with me. And she asked me about my health as a child and, um, my symptoms and, and how I was in, in high school and how my addiction years were, were for me. And as I was talking out loud, I just remember thinking, oh my God, this, this all could, has contributed to where I'm at today. And this has been going on for a long time. It's not just me. I'm not just super messed up. And this has been, you know, piling up. And it was, it was so relieving to talk all that out with someone who really seemed like they cared and had an idea as to what was going on in my in my body and she's how long was that first appointment it was 90 minutes which is extensively a lot longer than you typically would find at a western doctor absolutely yeah it was such a relief to have someone sit with me for that long and with as much knowledge and medical background as she had and just really connect with me um so that 90 minutes certainly gave me the the trust. I mean, the trust was built and I had confidence in what she told me. And she sent me out the door with a gut healing protocol. So a bunch of, um, supplements that, that oddly enough, I use in my, not oddly enough, but (laughs) I use a lot of the same ones in my practice today. Um, but she sent me out the door with these supplements and told me to follow essentially a, um, a sugar detox diet. So it was all vegetables, all animal protein, broth, um, fermented vegetables. And she said, there's no quantity restriction. You just need to stick to whole foods, cut the sugar out, cut the caffeine out and do this for 30 days. Um, and it was going to be 30 to 90, but this first, she wanted to see me back in 30 days. So I did it. I was, I mean, the trusted and built, I walked out of that office feeling like, hopeful that I, it just connected with me. It was t- really odd to me in the beginning when she was like, oh, you have digestive issues that this was going to be able to cure my vision. <laughs> but, um, but I trusted her. And so I did it. And within seven days, my vision came back and I've never had a problem with my vision since. Um, and also my energy recovered in that first 30 days. Um, it didn't like wipe away my anxiety and depression, but it had a huge impact on bringing me back to being more in my body and able to be present and not, you know, these heavy swings from being super anxious and super depressed to feeling manic. Um, so it definitely stabilized my moods. And the other thing that was happening within those years of, of, between rehab and the time I ended up in her office where I wasn't able to exercise like I had been. And I've always been an athlete and, um, and that was taking a toll on me too, just not having the energy to exercise. So within that first cleanse period, I was back running and back doing my normal exercising. I was sleeping well. It was like kind of a miracle. (laughs) So needless to say, that's what was, 
um, my introduction to nutrition and natural healing and just open the doors wide open for me to start seeking out how I could help help recover my normal health without having to be dependent on prescription medications. Is that what brought you into the nutrition world? Um, yeah, so I, I continued doing cleanses and experimenting with some natural healing stuff. Um, a couple of of life events took me back into, um, I mean, I, I never really quit drinking completely, but I would not drink like I'd had in, in college, but a couple of life events happened and I ended up finding myself really abusing alcohol again. So that was kind of my starting point to seek out something else in my life that I could be passionate about. Because it wasn't really like I was concerned I was going to end up being a complete, you know, addict where I would have to go to rehab. But I just wasn't comfortable with that I was seeking out those behaviors for relief. So I ended up finding the Nutritional Therapy Association in a, a workout class one day through a conversation with a friend. And I'd always been interested in nutrition. I was reading all these books to try and improve my own health. And so... Um, yeah, I, I ended up enrolling in the Nutritional Therapy Association kind of to get out of a relationship and to stop this drinking behavior that I had developed. And I t went to school with the intention of just learning more about myself, trying to improve my health, um, definitely some self-improvement goals. And within like the first 90 days of that program, which we end up learning about digestion early on in the in the NTA. I was completely obsessed. I had made the decision that I was going to quit my salary job and I ended up moving from Portland to Kauai, um, taking a little sabbatical to get, you know, my head wrapped around this thing that I was going to be a nutritionist. And I did. So I went um, I went to the NTA. It's a nine-month program. And when I completed it, I had ended up landing myself permanently on the Oregon coast, which was another dream of mine to live on the coast and started my business, Nutrition by Hollis. So with your background in addiction and recovery that has helped to lead you to becoming a nutritional therapy practitioner, are you using that right now to help other addicts in their own recovery? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Nutrition by Hollis, I started it in 2014 when I graduated the NTA and didn't really have any intention of going into working with addicts. Um, but with my evolution with clients over the last couple of years and my evolution with my own healing, physical and emotional, it's just, it's where I want to be in it. Um, it's the kind of people I attract also without even trying. <laughs> so it, inevitably in my sessions, even those first few clients um, in 2014, we'd end up talking about the emotional addiction to food and what was causing people to maybe overeat and be obese or um, just unable to put down sugar. And so this emotional attachment to food kept coming up. And then um, I had a couple of of people walk into my office that were dealing with heavy alcohol addiction. And, um, I mean, I didn't 
didn't necessarily help them like fully recover like a rehab facility was, but um, we ended up talking about that. And it, it was like, just kind of started my wheels turning that, you know, maybe I really do want to go in the direction of, of supporting the community of addicts and people in recovery. So um, I don't solely see clients that are addicted to things or have an addiction um, background, but it almost always comes up in my sessions. And I did get some, some further training in health coaching so that I could have that conversation and open up this realm of emotional healing with my clients because I find them very intertwined and it's, it's oftentimes hard to address the physical piece when there is an emotional piece um, that's a little bit deeper rooted. So yeah, that's, that's the direction I'm going in right now. And I'll be, um, I'll be opening a online support community for people in recovery where I'll be doing more um, nutrition education focused on how to replenish your nutrients after a period of addiction and what having a neurotransmitter imbalance means and how you can start to recover some of that stuff. So, yeah. And that can be found at nutritionbyhollis.com. Yes. So you have your two factors that you have found to lead people to addiction. What are those? Yeah. So in my piecing, putting the puzzle pieces together and trying to get to the bottom of the root cause of what led me to addiction and in putting the pieces together in terms of how I could regain my physical health um, and emotional health. I came up with two pretty much baseline contributing factors that I feel strongly that have um, have an effect to predispose people to developing addicting addictive behaviors. And one is nutrient deficiencies. And the second is having some kind of emotional trauma. Um, so the nutrient deficiencies, I mean, that can be caused by so many things. It doesn't necessarily have to be a you know, severe digestive disorder like I grew up with. Um, it can just be poor diet and or a stressful situation, um, a genetic predisposition, but oftentimes especially if people have gone through a period of alcohol and drug abuse and or eating disorders. So there's the, the be, being predisposed because you already have nutrient deficiencies and then you put another layer on top of that, which depletes your nutrients. Um, it's just a, it's a breeding grounds for <laughs> developing some pretty gnarly behavior to deal with the emotions that come up with having nutrient deficiencies. So from the uh, digestion perspective, what are some of the main causes and main hitters for having digestive issues and not getting the nutrients that you need into your system? Yeah. So for one, when you're not digesting your food, um, and that can be for a variety of reasons, but um, so inflammation causes an inability to digest your food, um, just certain pathways. So we talk a lot of in nutritional therapy about the nervous system and the autonomic nervous system state. Um, the sympathetic state is what most people know as fight or flight. And the parasympathetic state is what most people know as rest and digest. So we have to be in a parasympathetic nervous system state 
in order to be digesting our food. And if we're in a constant state of stress, um, you know, if we're poisoning our body with chemicals, um, we've had emotional trauma that keeps that sympathetic system on, it's, it becomes really, really difficult to get all the nutrition from your food. So prolonged periods of stress can cause nutrient deficiencies, allergies, sensitivities to food is a huge major hitter on, um, on our systems and our inability to extract the nutrients that we need to from the food we're eating. Um, so I think those are, those are the main ones in digestive related. Um, once your digestive system starts to flare up the rest of your body, your immune system, your nervous system, things just go haywire. And it's really hard to get back into a place of being able to digest your food unless you take a step back and treat it with nutrition or um, in some cases just some really deep relaxation and, and uh, you know, turning that parasympathetic system on um, and turning the, parasymp the sympathetic system off. Let's talk about the parasympathetic state a little bit more. How hard is it to switch someone from a sympathetic dominant state back over to a parasympathetic state? Yeah, this is a great question. And um, it seems simple, right? <laughs> it seems like it would be easy or easy-ish to just do some deep relaxation or do some yoga and, um, and kind of flip that switch so that you're in more of a relaxed state. And it turns out that it's not quite that simple. So first of all, we're just to lay the ground for the listeners, we're constantly going back and forth between sympathetic and parasympathetic, depending on what we're doing. Um, and so we're, we're always going on and off. It's not like we're just in one at one throughout certain periods of our day. And then throughout certain periods of our day, we're in the other, but, um, we want our bodies to be able to be in a uh, state of homeostasis or balance so that we can essentially flip the switch between parasympathetic to sympathetic and back and forth on our cue, depending on our cues. So when we eat, we want to be able to switch over into a parasympathetic state so that we can digest our food. Um, when we're in the car driving and a deer jumps in front of the car, we want to be able to easily switch into sympathetic so that we can react in a way that will um, save ourselves. So we're constantly going back and forth, but when we get into a mode of being sympathetic dominant, our nervous system literally gets imprinted and we end up kind of staying there. So it becomes really difficult for our bodies to switch back into that parasympathetic state. Um, and in terms of treating this, in terms of becoming more parasympathetic dominant, being able to switch over into that rest and digest state, it takes a lot of effort on our parts. Um, it takes, I mean, nutrition is certainly one thing that we want to address because we don't want to be putting things in our bodies that are going to cause stress. So we want to identify the food allergens and cut those out and get sugar out for sure. Sugar, we haven't really talked about the sugar factor yet, but when we have a diet comprised of um, 
sugar and processed foods that are going to send us into a state of blood sugar dysregulation. Our bodies are stressed out, and so this is just feeding the parasympathetic nervous system state. Um, so certainly dietary things are, are the first thing I address, and we get sugar out and we start identifying those food allergens and get people on a really comfortable whole foods, sustainable way of eating that is not creating a, a sympathetic state. Um, the next step is to address the, the emotional factors or the triggers, I call them triggers, that are causing people to be in a heightened, heightened sympathetic state. So that's, that's the deep emotional work that can take many forms. Um, certainly things I teach my clients are meditation and yoga and developing daily practices and it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It's, it's five to 10 minutes a day and, and really just tapping into that ability to relax and bring yourself back in your body and talk yourself into being in a more parasympathetic state. And a lot of medications can keep you out of that parasympathetic state, correct? They really kind of keep you revved up and stimulated, even if they are antidepressants or anything along those lines? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, medications, um, and the, these took me years, and I'm still not completely off of my medications because I'm still on a very long-term weaning myself off. Um, but medications, so not only do they disrupt your the fauna and flora in your gut, but they act on so many of the, well, they, they act on all of the receptors for your neurotransmitters and they just, um, some of them mimic neurotransmitters and some of them work on the receptors, but they're messing with our natural ability to self-regulate and to produce those neurotransmitters naturally. And um, it, I mean, they interact with the actual function in the body. So no matter what kind of medication you're on for mood regulation, they are totally disrupting that natural cycle. And this for, it absolutely perpetuates being in a sympathetic state because your body is in constant confusion of what it should produce and where it should send things where. And then there's also the whole detoxification issue that your liver is having to not only detoxify the medication that you're on, but also the um, neurotransmitter and, and hormone metabolites that need to be flushed out. So yeah, your body is, is highly toxic when you're on these medications. And um, in terms of working to get off of those, I think it's a very smart move for people to do this with guidance. And, um, and it takes, it, some people can just go cold turkey and regain their, their functioning. But um, there's this, it's what it's called um, pause. It's post-acute withdrawal symptoms. And this can go on for a long time where it's essentially where your body is, has been dysregulated for so long that it really doesn't know how to kick back into gear and start producing all of the serotonin and dopamine and GABA that, that keep you feeling normal. So going off of these drugs over time, um, really, really slowly is highly suggested, highly recommended. And it's really smart to do with a healthcare professional that can lead you through balancing your body through nutrition and also supporting you in certain emotional ways so that you can come off those easily and not 
not shock your nervous system. So when you're coming off of sugar, sugar can give you kind of the same stimulation that drugs can. Do you go cold turkey off of the sugar or do you have to wean people off slowly with that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, no, I send people, <laughs> I send people through a cold turkey detox from sugar. Um, but it's not, it's not like, okay, you can't have this or else kind of thing. Um, it's, it's totally safe to go off of sugar without the repercussions. However, there are emotional factors that come up almost inevitably if someone is dealing with um, an emotional attachment to food. So that it's not going to send anyone into the severe like panic state, but it can be really difficult. And it for me, it's great. I get excited when this stuff comes up for people because it means that we get to treat the emotional aspect and we just do it around food and eating. Um, and so it's not easy by any means, but it's, it's where the work is and it's where so much emotional growth can come when you learn to have a healthy relationship with food and learn to replace the sugar addiction and the carbohydrate addiction with things like healthy fats and healthy proteins that are rebuilding your body versus depleting it. Um, so much growth happens in this period. And I, I teach sugar detox classes, which, you know, a lot of people just end up doing it and end up following the meal plan and kind of overcoming their sugar addiction in that first 21 days and having a great experience. And other people, um, it takes, three or four times going through that class before they can do a full 21 days and have like a, a fully successful sugar detox. But, um, so I kind of got off on a tangent there, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's definitely safe to just go off of sugar and highly suggested. So we've worked on our parasympathetic state. We've removed sugar from our systems. What's the next step to helping our digestive system actually be able to absorb nutrients from our foods? So, um, it's, it's really a matter of finding what kind of nutrition plan works for, for everyone. I mean, everyone's body is completely different. If there are digestive disorders and this includes autoimmunity for sure. And, um, cancer as well. So, uh, what other disorders are, you know, any kind of skin issues. So if, if someone's dealing with actual digestive issues, there might be a more, um, more importance laid on some supplementation and really getting serious about eliminating the infl inflammatory foods. Um, if someone isn't dealing with severe digestive disorders, has pretty good blood sugar regulation, you know, that might be a person who can deal with things like whole grains and some nuts and seeds. So it's really about dealing or getting, I get to know my clients really well. <laughs> um, and we do a lot of trial and error, but not, no two person is the same. And so in terms of finding what works for that person and healing the gut and finding something that's really sustainable and satiating and going to continue to rebuild their body versus tear it down. Um, I just work, work individually with clients and figure out what their personal nutrition plan can be. 
So does restoring nutrient deficiencies, is that how you help to restore the neurotransmitter imbalances, or do you use specific supplements to help with the neurotransmitters, or what's kind of your protocol with that? Yeah, that's a great question. So first um, first and foremost, it's restoring nutrient deficiencies with good diet. And then the neurotransmitters, so I use a variety of tools. I use um, A, getting to know my clients to figure out what their pattern is and what their history is, what their drug of choice is, is great information for me to know what neurotransmitters they're likely deficient in. Um, Once we've pretty much got a handle through, you know, questionnaires and just a health history, I have a pretty good idea of what they are depleted in and what we need to work on. So um, there are some supplement therapies that I use, which are amino acid therapies. Um, Trudy Scott and Joan Mathers Lars, Joan <laughs> Joan Larson Mathers or Joan Mathers Larson. Um, they're kind of the pioneers in this work in terms of amino acid therapy, and essentially it's just supplementing with amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins, which are um, what our neurotransmitters are made out of. So it's supplementing with these amino acids, the building blocks, and just replenishing those stores and those pathways in your body so that you can start to feel um, balanced in, in the ways that those neurotransmitters make us feel balanced. Have you found certain drugs lead to uh, specific nutrient deficiencies? Like I know alcoholics typically are really low in magnesium. Are there other specific deficiencies like that for different drugs? Cocaine, it could be marijuana, heroin. Yeah, definitely. So um, I won't go through all the details, but um, the the drugs of choice is really, really good information for me because certain drugs work on certain, either the actual neurotransmitter uptake or, um, or the actual receptors. So it's which, whatever drug people are attracted to or end up abusing tells me like more likely than not, which neurotransmitters have been affected. So there, yeah, there's lots of information and good, good treatment nuggets of wisdom that I take away from, from knowing what people are attracted to. And that was part of my story was actually, I was really infatuated with this idea of that people, when I was using, I was really attracted to a certain kind of drug and because it made me feel good, it made me feel normal, but there were other drugs that I took and felt like crap from. And I was kind of infatuated with this whole drug of choice thing because, and now looking back on it, I mean, looking back on my history and knowing the drugs of choice that I had told me a whole lot in terms of my recovery and which amino acids to supplement with and how to care for my body. And even in terms of getting myself back into a parasympathetic state, like, like, okay, these are the, the habits that I've developed. And it's because these neurotransmitters are supposed to do this in my brain. And I never feel like that. So I'm going to re-up my, my neurotransmitter um, nutrition and amino acid supplementation and follow these self-care practices that are going to help promote me getting into either a more relaxed state or whatever. So I know if you take a lot of hard drugs, then 
the liver has to work really hard to try and get these toxins out. And for a lot of people, they hold on to these toxins for a long time. I've heard stories that people can have right. trips like 12, 15 years even after they've um, sobered up. And it's because these toxins are still within their body. So I'm sure detoxification yeah. is a huge part in helping these people out. Is that stuff that you take them through? Yes. And what you just mentioned in terms of that having those flare-ups are, are being, you know, essentially feeling high again, that's post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And that is a real thing because the, the drug metabolites are still in your body. Your body has this incredible way of storing things. And if it's unable to detoxify them in the moment, it will store them and essentially just get stuck in either our adipose tissue, which is fat, or somewhere in our liver or elsewhere in our body. And so, yeah, as you're detoxifying, these symptoms can definitely flare up. Um, so detoxification, I'm, I learned this in the Nutritional Therapy Association, um, and I'm a strong believer in doing it in a very safe and gentle, slow way. Um, so that's absolutely something that I help my clients do. We do a gentle detoxification, just starting with whole foods. And I work with them to make sure that all of their detoxification pathways are open before we do any deeper cleanses. So deeper cleanses would be doing a juice cleanse, doing any kind of fasting, taking any, um, really heavy doses of therapeutic supplements, but it's, it's incredibly important that all of our detoxification pathways are open so that you're eliminating out of your, from your stool and your urine and your sweating and um, you don't have any infections in your lungs and before we do any kind of detoxification. But that being said, um, detoxification is, it's everything. It really is. We're, our bodies are always detoxifying. So we take in toxins through the air we breathe and the products that we use and the food we eat. And so our, our body is detoxifying naturally all the time. Um, but when you do, when you have a period of drug addiction, I mean, you've done some pretty serious damage to your body and it's, it becomes pretty important to do some deeper detoxification over, over time in order to restore your natural balance. Um, for example, I've went to the NTA and learned about proper detoxification in 2014. And it's, I've done detoxes and regular cleanses for years, but I have so far to go still. And, and I can't do it all at once. No one can do it all at once. So it is really important to do gentle, gentle detoxification maintenance and then deeper detoxification one to two times a year to really keep your body um, in good working order. And that's for non-addicts and addicts alike. Um, so these aren't like the three-day and seven-day cleanses that a lot of people are doing like at the beginning of the year or in the springtime. These are kind of drawn out over extended periods of time. Right, yeah. I talked detoxification with my clients and my classes in terms of this is a daily practice. So it's, it's certainly um, dietary related, but there's also a lot of detoxification practices that I teach that are simple self-care things. So 
inspiring our lymphatic system is kind of what we think of as our immune system and stimulating the lymphatic system to gently detoxify and move things is a great way so that includes um, things like dry brushing and taking epsom salt baths um, doing oil pulling is another self-care practice that i teach which is incredible for detoxification um, doing abdominal massage keeps your digestive um, organs stimulating and that peristalsis moving so there are, are daily maintenance things i teach my clients that help people detoxify on a daily basis. And then do you also detoxify people with the emotional trauma? Do you go into deeper um, conversations about the emotional aspect? Or do you have other like therapists or something come in and help out with that component? Yeah, it's, um, that's a great question too, because the emotional trauma is is so many times what what keeps people um, using or, or even if people have periods of sobriety and abstinence from drugs and alcohol, if the emotional trauma piece isn't addressed, there's a, there's a higher chance that people are going to relapse. So yeah, emotional detoxification, it's all intertwined. Um, I start with the physical piece and get people balanced physically and nutritionally and inevitably the emotional piece will come up because as you start to cleanse your body, the emotions start to arise. And um, there's no like point A to point B of how I get people there. It just it just comes up. And I have a little bit of training and, and experience and I work with my clients <clears throat> to do a lot of the emotional processing um, and teach them how to do things on their own at home. And I use things like journaling and yoga and meditation and other tools that, that come up. Um, and then I have my, my other healthcare professionals that I refer people to if some deeper healing needs to happen. Um, and I use my own set of tools that I think are really effective. And, you know, I've done a ton of work in the realms of emotional healing. I've gone to meditation retreats and I've gone to, um, fasting retreats and gosh, what else? I do somatic experiencing and integrative breath work and yoga and meditation. And I've done a ton of work in the realms of emotional trauma healing, but there's always more to do. So it just depends on people's traumas and how they're, you know, what their nervous system has attached to that won't, they can't let go of. And it's really about working through that, rewiring the nervous system and, um, and it, it's all done together. So I don't, I don't think without having the nutrition piece that a lot of this work can be done because it, it can be pretty dramatic and traumatizing to bring up a lot of this stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, in my, in the online community that I'll be opening at the end of March, I will have a lot of professional, um, healthcare professionals in there to help to help people deal with some of their deeper emotional stuff. Um, and I do some of it, but I don't go into deeper psychiatric work. And you also have a blueprint that people can use to help them um, with your ebook, right? The Addiction Cure ebook? Yes. 
So people can go to my website, nutritionbyhollis.com and download. It's about a 40 page book. Um, it's called the addiction cure and it's, it's my blueprint for living a life of what I call holistic nutrition. And it's really what I've just mentioned now, um, in terms of doing daily maintenance to keep yourself well in recovery and work through some of the emotional stuff, balance yourself physically. Um, so yeah, go grab a copy of that over on my website and it, it gives a good, good overview of how to live a essentially nutrient balanced, healthy, um, life in recovery. Yeah. 40 pages can hold a lot of information for an ebook too. Yeah. And all that's free. All of that is free. So head on over to Nutrition by Hollis to get your free addiction cure ebook. Hollis, it's been great to have you on the show. I'm really glad that we were able to do this. You have so much more information in addiction and recovery than we even talked about and that I even know. So this has been really helpful for me and many of the listeners that are dealing with these real issues. Thanks so much for having me on, Brian. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Okay, if you want to work with Hollis, go to nutritionbyhollis.com and you can find out more information of all the offerings that she has. She has her ebook that she has released. She also has her online community that's coming up at the end of March. So take a look at nutritionbyhollis.com. Now, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And we will be producing more episodes coming up. So stay tuned, stay listening, and we will see you next time. You have been listening to the Summit for Wellness podcast. If you are ready to climb to the peak of your health, visit summitforwellness.com for more information. As you continue on your journey, we hope that you will join us next time on the Summit for Wellness podcast.